If you would stand with me this morning in honor of the reading of the word, turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. A very familiar, the classic uh, Christmas story. But I want to start there this morning. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Heavenly Father, where would we be without this story? I can't even imagine. God, we thank you for the story, the birth of Jesus, the first Christmas. Lord, we pray that you would uh, take this sermon, uh, these stammering lips. God, that you would give understanding to those that need it. Lord, that you would open ears, hearts, and minds, and souls this morning. God, we'd not leave here the same way we came in. Lord, you would do a work this morning. We'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This story, everybody knows, some of you uh, as children or some children have memorized this, probably quoted it in a Christmas play, but it's no less impactful uh, for the use or overuse of it over the years. The fact is, it's actually the culmination of over 4,000 years of history and prophecy. Uh, God had a plan. Never, ever is God overwhelmed. Uh, he's never surprised. He's, he's not anxious. He has a plan. And that plan is being worked in spite of the devil and those who work with and for him. And God had a plan. I want to take a look for just a few minutes at, uh, at that plan a little bit. God, he didn't just plan it and then for 4,000 years it went on. He told over and over that this birth was going to happen. And if you would look at Genesis 22 and the 18th verse, God's talking to Abraham. You see, God had blessed Abraham, but he didn't have any children. And God gave him a son. He doted on that son. He loved that son. He would do anything for Isaac. And then God said, I want Isaac. And Abraham gave him to him. Climbed the mountain, raised the knife, and then God supplied the ram. He supplied the sacrifice. But he was so pleased with Abraham that he said this in Genesis 22 and verse 18. This is God speaking. He said, In your offspring shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There's not anything that you can do to please God more than to obey him. If you're a Christian today and you 
They're in contact with God. If you are praying, you are reading, you are listening to Him. The obedience is what He's looking for. That loving Him back. He just wants uh, that from us. And so Abraham had done it. This is what he promised Abraham, that he would literally bless him, and he was foretelling uh, that he would bless the nations. He was referring on to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Numbers 24 and 17 was written at about 1500 B.C., I believe, by uh, Moses. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all of the sons of Seth. And this is referring, um, obviously, to Jesus and him coming and who he would be and a spiritual warfare. And have no doubt, there is spiritual warfare around us all the time. You're, if you're a Christian, you're involved in it. If you're not a Christian, you're involved in it. The fact is, there is a spiritual warfare going on. And by the way, it's really not much of a war. If you've read the back of the book, God wins every time. It's not even going to be close. In Psalms chapter 72 and verses 9 and 10, it's this, this is a, a song. And this is what it had to say. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Hundreds of years before it happened, it was foretold that the, the wise men, that the shepherds, um, that kings would bow down. They would come searching for him. And they did, precisely. This is one thing I've learned over time. When God prophesies, it's not a generality. It's precise. It will happen exactly as he said. If you read the Bible and you read it and let God open it up to you, it's going to happen exactly as it was said. It's not going to be a type and a shadow and maybe this way and maybe that way, but it's going to happen as God said it. He doesn't halfway do things. And the fact is, he said that the tribes would bow down to him, and they did, and they are, and they will. About 700 years before Jesus' death or uh, birth, Isaiah 7:14 was written. It says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign." Here he gave this to Isaiah. He said, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign." Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. One of the first names given to him, Emmanuel. God has many names. Jesus has many names. Uh, but this is one of them. And the fact is, he said, look for a virgin. Look for a virgin uh, that's pregnant and, uh, and that will be the sign. Here again, very precise. It didn't kind of happen. It really happened the way God said it would. Hundreds of years before it actually happened. God, he's not playing around. He's not halfway doing the job. He's doing exactly as he said he would. And the fact that a virgin is so outlandish that a virgin would conceive and have a child, only God could do that. Just a couple of three chapters over, Isaiah 11.1 1 says, 
There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Once again, very precise. He gave the lineage that would lead directly to Jesus. It wasn't an accident. He didn't just pick out a virgin. Mary was known millennial before she conceived. She was blessed. God had prepared for her. In Jeremiah, just the next book over, the 23rd chapter, verses 5 and 6 say, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Man, when the Lord declares, remember we talk about precise, when he starts declaring, hang on. When I will raise up from David, here's his lineage again, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness. Boy, we'd like to see some justice and righteousness about right now, wouldn't we? In the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And I asked him, they were able to get it up. You know, I looked that up on uh, YouTube. I heard it pronounced. I practiced it. My hillbilly tongue don't go that way. So if you can say it, feel free to yell it out. But I, that is... That is, the Lord is our righteousness. There he is. And Chris, I don't know if you put that in your song or not, but uh, there's, one, there's one of them. He gave his Emmanuel we talked about a while ago. Jehovah, I'll go with Jehovah. But the fact is, he's our righteousness. He is the one. Our hope is in him. Jeremiah, just a... a a few chapters later, Jeremiah 31 and verse 15 says, Thus saith the Lord, he's talking again, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And you wonder, how in the world is this a prophecy? This is prophecy. This ties into some amazing stuff. As I got to study this, it wasn't something that was brand new to me, but it was just exciting to see how God puts things together. This refers to Herod, King Herod, killing the children, all the babies, two years and under, looking for Jesus, trying to kill Jesus. The devil at war again. He's not much of a, uh, a uh, captain. He doesn't do very well in war against God. But the fact is, if you take that verse and the lamentation, and it talks about all the mothers who are crying that have lost children, I think that applies too uh, to today. God remembers the mothers that have lost a child. It doesn't matter how old. I remember watching my 96-year-old grandma, great-grandma, in a wheelchair, rolled up to her 78-year-old son's casket, and she leaned over it and caressed his face and said, oh, my baby. It doesn't matter if you've lost them and they were never born or if you've lost them and they were old. The fact is, the lamentation of a mother, and God remembers it right here, says in Ramah, but let's see where it ties together and where, where that's important. In Hosea 11 and 1, and stay with me, you've got to follow this. 
When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, Hosea is a love letter that's not lovely at all. It's ugly. It's Hosea was commanded to marry a prostitute, and she left him, and he brought her home, and it was just a mess, but it was uh, to signify what Israel was to God. And on the surface, this doesn't look like it's referring uh, to prophecy at all and would back up back to the Lamentations that we were just talking about. But let's jump into the New Testament. And in Matthew, Matthew ver- uh, chapter 12 or chapter 2 and verse 15, 750 years later, this is what Matthew wrote. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. You see, God knew that Herod was going to do what he was doing. He's never surprised. And he sent Joseph and Mary to Egypt, and they stayed there until Herod died. Yes, he killed a lot of children. A lot of people got hurt. But God protects his own. God takes care of his own one way or another. Isn't it incredible that 750 years early, he told what would happen? It's amazing what God does precisely. He's... He's never caught off guard. I just love that. I have to lean on that often because often I'm caught off guard. Things happen in life. You don't see them coming. Forty days later, 40 days later, after Jesus was born, they went to the temple for the first time for the purification. Jesus was born. They, this would have been just before they went to Egypt. And this is what happened when Jesus came to the temple for the first time. If you look at uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 33, it says, And when the time came for their purification, see, they wouldn't let a woman come to the uh, uh, temple for 40 days after uh, birth. Those are purification. Uh, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. This seems kind of weird, but it was what they did then. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They came to dedicate him. That's what it was. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, two young pigeons. Now, get this, this is where I was headed. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit hadn't even been given yet, but the Holy Spirit was there. He was on him. Didn't say he was in him, but he said he was on him. Was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation 
to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I want you to get a picture of this. There's been a lot of crazy already go on around uh, Joseph and Mary. Uh, born in a stable. People showing up you weren't expecting to show up. Uh, and the whole pregnancy, the whole thing had just been, some people would have said a nightmare, stressful, whatever. And they want to just go in and do their duty and they show up at church. And this old man grabs their child and holds him. Doesn't say they gave him to him. Doesn't say he was one of the priests and I haven't studied it. Maybe he was. But it says he was a righteous man. He was hanging out. God had told him it was coming. Here again, God doesn't do things just a little bit. Very precise. He, was at the, he had been told that he was going to see Jesus and he went where he could see him. Think about that. He, admit, he didn't stay at home and go, man, I'm old and it hurts today. And I'm not sure that I want to go to... Man, what if he had stayed home that day? But the fact is, God told him, you're going to see Christ before you die. And now he was ready to go. I'm going to tell you, once you meet Christ and you really get to know him, you're ready to go. The things of this world really start to dim. They really start to dim. And you know, now for 2,000 years, we've been celebrating that time. 2,000 years. I'd have to say what we're celebrating and the way we do it, um, I enjoy it, okay? You, you feel free to get me all the gifts you want to. I like them. <laughs> and I even enjoy giving gifts, okay? I, I really do. But I'm not sure that's what this birth was about. We give gifts, though, to celebrate. I asked my children this not long ago. Do you remember your favorite Christmas? And I would, I would think there would be two of them. One as a child, hopefully. And then maybe one as an adult. And maybe you'd have a hard time picking one out. I, I actually thought about it. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about Christmas often the last few years in that way. But I remember, anybody remember the slotted race car tracks? A bunch of you had them, right? I had one, I, I'm, I had to, it had to have been around 1980, maybe a little before that. My dad got me one of those. And he laid down in the floor with me. We put it together. And the trigger, I never could get it quite right. It, it spent more time chasing it down the hallway, getting it and bringing it back. But I still remember my car was a 1957 Chevrolet Nomad, the two-door station wagon. I loved that thing, man. It was so cool. And it, who knows whatever happened to it. But the fact is, I remember that gift. And my dad spent time with me, and we played uh, with it, and then me and my brother played for years with it. It was uh, it was a shared gift. I remember a year or two later, when uh, when my dad uh, we we had Christmas, and there, it was a great Christmas. There was nothing wrong with it. Um, and then when Christmas was kind of over, he said, "By the way, come here, boys." And we looked out the front door, and there in the front yard were two new bicycles. 
And now I was the proud owner of a 10-speed bicycle. Man, them handlebars down. I could get the, I could low. Man, I could fly. I could even ride a wheelie on that thing. They're not made to do that, but I could jump it. I did everything. Man, I loved that. I had to wore that thing out. I have no idea whatever happened to it, but uh, I got a 10-speed bicycle. My dad got that for me. He gave it to me. It was my parents, but... And then within a couple of years, I was over at a cousin's house in the middle of the summer and uh, walked out into the backyard, and there sat a terrible-looking, broke-down, faded-out, not-running go-kart, a two-seater. And I couldn't resist. I asked my uncle, I said, how much could I buy that for? Not even sure I had any money. But I want to know how much it was. And he said, you can have it. Take it home with you. And my dad had an excuse why we couldn't take it home that day. And for months, I remember, I would figure out a way my dad was going somewhere to try to get in the truck with him and beg him, let's just stop by Uncle Richard's house and get that go-kart. He, he said, we can have it, we can bring it home, and he wouldn't, never would. And I was a little brokenhearted, and I wanted that go-kart so bad. I would dream about it, think about it. And you're right, Christmas time came. My dad had gone and got that go-kart, reupholstered the seat, rebuilt the engine. He took the governor off of it. That thing would run 35 miles an hour. It would fly. I would turn donuts. There was no gravel left at the end of our street. He had painted it. It was beautiful. That has got to be my favorite Christmas gift ever. My dad, my hero, he, he didn't take vacations, but once a year he would take three or four days and he would go into North Missouri and he coon hunted. And the hides in the early 80s were worth a lot of money. Each hide worth $30 to $40. Today, they're worth virtually nothing. And there's a lot of coon. There wasn't a lot of coon. He would hunt day, day, sundown to daylight for several nights. And he took the money one year. And here again, Christmas happened. And we walked out the door. And there sat a Suzuki four-wheeler. We probably got more use out of that thing. In fact, he still has it today and occasionally gets it out so that his grandkids, and now it'll be great-grandkids, can ride it. But my dad loved me. He gave gifts to me. Not, not often. Those were Christmas gifts, and they were really some big things. And they mean a lot to me today. They meant so much to me that 15 years later, I bought my son a slotted racetrack, and his first video game. Got my daughter her first karaoke machine. Got them their first puppy. Man, I'll never forget that. 15 years of dealing with that thing. <laughs> Loved every minute of it. I bought a go-kart and fixed it up for them. They didn't even know it was coming. They didn't even know to ask for it. But I knew what it meant to me. And it was exciting to do it for my children. In Matthew verses seven, or chapter 7 and verse 11, Jesus 
is talking to us. And he said this, if you who are evil, that's everybody, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Not sure I'd ever had that go-kart if I hadn't asked for it. I wanted that thing bad. When's the last time you got on your knees and asked God something you wanted really bad? Not for yourself. Not so that you could look good. Maybe the need of another. Maybe someone that needs to be healed. Maybe someone that needs to be saved. Maybe it's a child that's going through something. You don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but you do. And it's breaking your heart. God said that if you know how to give something good to your children, it ain't nothing. He gives good things. He gives good things here on this earth. But he's in heaven. And the best thing you've ever seen on this earth ain't nothing. It ain't nothing. You turn your life to God, He'll change your life. It's life change. There's no doubt about it. He does incredible things. We could go row by row here this morning and talk about the good things that after you gave your life to God, the changes that have been made, the changes in your life. In fact, we as a church have marketed live your best life. We were just talking about it the other night. Live your best life now. We even write books. Somebody put a book. I've seen a book somewhere named that. And that's true. It is true. You can live your best life now. You can fix your life. God can fix your family. He can fix your finances. He doesn't always do it, but He can. He can fix your health. It's healthier to be a Christian. He can relieve your stress and your anxiety. But I believe that we've done a disservice to people selling this life change and live your best life. I think that we've left out the best part. Will it change your life? Absolutely. Would it be better in every way, shape, or form. But I think we've left out the best part. I think maybe we've been celebrating the wrong things. I think maybe we've been celebrating the wrong Christmas. You see, we're celebrating 2,000-year-ago Christmas. If you look up the definition, Christmas, you know, it used to be Christ Mass, right? But Christmas really, in definition here in the United States, is celebrating the birth of Christ. But I think we ought to be celebrating the coming of Christ. I think that's really what we ought to be excited about. I understand giving gifts to people, but no better gift could ever be given than to look forward to the coming of Christ. I think that we've, uh, we've messed up just a little bit. We've missed out. Jesus said in Luke 12, in the 40th verse, he said, you also must be ready, 
for the Son of Man is coming at the hour you do not expect. And listen, He's going to come. He's promised it. It's been foretold. It's foretold in Thessalonians. It's talked about and in many other places. Jesus is coming back. I think that we're celebrating a 2,000-year-old Christmas when we ought to be celebrating the next real Christmas. Because each year we just celebrate a celebration. It's not a true Christmas. That happened 2,000 years ago. But I don't think it's going to be another 2,000 before the next one happens. I expect it before this Christmas. I'm looking forward to it. I'm ready to go. I'm excited about it. Come Lord Jesus. And He said He's coming in an hour when you think not. He's going to... Hey, and listen. This time... He's not going to land in a major in Bethlehem. He's going to split the eastern skies. And those hurts, those people that we've lost, those ones that have, been, uh, uh, that have died, they're going to beat us. They're going to get a head start. If you read your Bible, it says that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those of us that are Christians, are, the saints are going to follow. We're headed out of here. Listen, we're headed... <laughs> Gary was talking to me. He's not here this service. Gary was talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb the other night. I believe that's where we're headed. Listen, of course. Have you ever been in a group of Christians where when they get together, they don't eat? Amen. Of course that's what we're going to do. We're going to go feast. <laughs> we're headed out of here. Utah, what a present. What a present. We're headed out of here. We're, we're going to be with Christ. I can't wait to gather around the throne with all of you and all of the thousands and see Moses over here and Joshua over here and David over there. And I get to sing in the same choir. I don't know. Maybe David's writing a song up there for us. I don't know. A psalm. Listen, it's going to be exciting. We are headed out of here. I believe as a church that we need to promote this, that we need to be talking about it. Yes, you can have your life fixed. Yes, it can be. But the real and the next Christmas is what we're looking for. Let's head out to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, there's going to be no more tears. I bet you, I bet you we could go around the no more tears. No more tears. No more loneliness. Have you ever sat in church and been lonely? Right in the church. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're around people, but you're so lonely. Depression. No more loneliness. We're headed for heaven. No more sorrows. Whatever those sorrows are, there's not going to be any more. It doesn't even exist. It'll leave the vocabulary. We won't even know what sorrows are. Pain. No more pain. No more pain. All pain, gone. No more, no more pills, no more shots, no more uh, uh, being operated on. Nothing. No more sickness. No more sickness. <laughs> it was the evangelist tried to blow COVID away. That didn't work. Okay, everybody's seen it, heard about it. But the fact is, all sickness will be gone. Disease, 
those diseases that ravage those ugly, awful diseases. I can't wait to get to heaven and my father-in-law knows who I am again. And I can sit around the throne, listen to him sing. I'll just share this with you. He was at my house a week or two ago. And it's near impossible to carry on a conversation with him. But I put on the Gaither videos, and we had church. He got blessed. He was getting excited, humming, and he couldn't really sing along with it. But he hears when God talks to him. He may not understand what I'm saying to him, but he understands when God talks to him. No more disease. Be gone. Heartache, death, financial problems. <laughs> you think about that. Your bank account will never run dry in heaven. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Gave us a spot. Hate. No more hate. Man, what a hate-filled world we live in. No more hate. Can you imagine being in heaven and you just love everybody? It's kind of like when you first got saved, right? Man, it'll be exciting to get to heaven. No more murder, no crime. Those things gone. What a present. What a present. Our Heavenly Father. And He's been 2,000 years preparing that for us. He spoke this world into existence. But He spent 2,000 years Preparing a place for you and I. That's incredible. That's, that is phenomenal. The fact is, we can't wrap our minds around that. Man, I can't wait to gather around the throne. I, I love to read the description of the throne in Ezekiel. I can't fathom it, but it's fun to read. It's amazing to be there. And forever... Forever. Jason mentioned this last Sunday that our life is as a vapor, and then he. Just think about that. Your life is a. and it's gone. But forever, forever we'll be with him. All of those things that we talked about will be gone. They'll no longer exist. Listen, folks, as a church, this is what we need to be talking about. This is where we're going. Our ultimate goal is not to live a great life here. Listen, this whole world's full of sin. It's a terrible place to be. It's just a stopping off place, a preparation to get ready for the next world. And the fact is, Chris, if you would come, if you miss it, it will literally be hell on earth for a while before it's hell. There's a lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And it's had to enlarge itself to accept those that reject Jesus Christ. It wasn't prepared for you or I, but it's enlarged itself to take us. Listen, if you're there, there'll be no excuses. There won't be any second chances. It'll be your fault. Hell awaits for those that refuse this gift. If you would stand all over the room. I don't know if this has spoke to you or not. 
I don't know if you have someone on your heart you need to pray for, or if you're here this morning and you're unsaved, you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity. Listen, Jesus paid a price. He paid the price. It's free. You only have to accept. You have to unwrap the gift. What a Christmas gift. Jesus paid that price. And it's yours if you want it. This morning, where will you spend eternity? Will you be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Lamb, or will you be here? I don't want to be on earth. I don't want to be here. I want out of here as soon as possible. I want to spend eternity worshiping the Lord. I want to spend eternity where I was meant to be.